Just wanted to start off this bonus episode by thanking all of you for listening. Um, as I've been busier lately, episode frequency may decrease to once every two weeks for a little while. After all the talking about basic birding in this one, I have a small teaser with some recently recorded content that I'll be using in a future season. I hope you enjoy. My name is Rob, and this is a bonus episode of Songbirding. A while back, I made an episode about beginner birding tips and tricks, and um, it was fall, so a lot of crunchy leaves, and I was using a microphone that, and I was using a high-gain omnidirectional microphone, so uh, parts of it would be, parts of it were a little hard to hear, so I'm going to do a bit of a redo of that here in the context of COVID-19. So if you're getting started with birding, um, everyone has a different uh, technique to their birding, different uh, things they want to get out of it, different uh, ways of doing it. You could be someone who prefers the backyard birding. You could prefer going out into the field. You could be into uh, chasing or twitching, which would be uh, when you're looking specifically for rarities and following them, following up on those. Uh, you could be into kind of competitive birding, trying to get as many species in a particular location in a certain amount of time. Uh, or you could be into just finding breeding bird territories, photography, audio recording, video recording, uh, documentation in general. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a birder. None of them is particularly right, more right than the others. Um, just everyone's got their preferences and those preferences can change over time. Sometimes can change multiple times. And uh, I'm gonna go over some basics that might be shared between all of them. So with COVID-19, uh, normally uh, one would say, well, join some birding groups and go out with people, but uh, that's more difficult now. Uh, depending on where you live, may not be impossible. Um, here in Canada, the numbers are fairly low. Uh, and while we have restrictions on no more than 10 people gathered, um, you could, in theory, go on small birding outings where people are wearing masks and social distancing. And our local naturalist club is trying that out and it's working pretty well. Um, but it all depends on where you live and what the risks are. But that said, because of the limited numbers, it may be difficult to get into one of those kinds of groups because the organizers will have to set up some kind of RSVP, first come, first serve kind of thing. And uh, that will make it more difficult. I've got a pine warbler here and an oven bird. So, um, birding alone or with those within your social circle bubble, um, whatever, will be the primary means that you learn birding these days for the next while at least. Uh, so the important part in that is um, if you're wanting to learn 
is good documentation. So getting your camera out, even getting your smartphone out and seeing if you can get a even hazy photo. Um, writing down what you saw or documenting in a voice memo what you saw, audio recording what you heard, maybe even video recording so that you have kind of both the audio and visual. And perhaps that may even be able to give um, you a bit of behavior to look at. So you do that especially when you're not sure what the bird is because what you could do later is upload it somewhere and ask people what it is, get help, but more importantly find why it is what it is and that will help you next time you encounter the species to know what it is. Back in the day it would have been a whole ordeal because digital cameras were not as prevalent or not or not something that existed and so one would have to go out with a mentor or take extremely good notes um, and then follow up with someone later uh, probably in person or on the phone and hope that your notes were good enough to figure out what it was that you saw or heard much easier today and you can learn bird identification much more rapidly today because of these things. There's also iNaturalist. If you take photos and upload them to iNaturalist of a bird, you can see if it knows what it is or Merlin. Uh, there's an app you can download called Merlin ID uh, from the Cornell lab, I believe. And that app, uh, you can upload a photo or just enter or just answer some questions and it will take a guess as to what you might have seen based on your location, time of year, description, and photo. When it comes to documenting, um, you can get what's called a zoom camera, usually fairly low in cost, at least compared to DSLRs. Uh, DSLR cameras are far more expensive, and in order to get close-up shots of birds, we're talking about probably spending thousands uh, when it comes to lenses to attach to get a good reach. Um, if you're able to sneak up on birds pretty well, then maybe a shorter lens will suit you, but you're still probably talking um, in the hundreds, high hundreds at minimum for that. And, uh, and then the body of the camera, of course, um, is gonna be at minimum in the hundreds uh, as well. Whereas a zoom camera, also known as a bridge camera, um, you can get that reach with a built-in lens that zooms in. It's a you know, retractable lens and uh, at a low cost. The trade-off is lower quality than the uh, DSLRs. But unless you're planning on selling the photos, being uh, kind of more in the realm of a professional photographer, you don't need that. Um, zoom cameras are great for documentation of all kinds of things. Not just birds, any animal, tree, Wildflower, dragonflies, butterflies, they can be great for all of that. And you can buy uh, attachments for them. You know, you can't remove their lens, but sometimes you can get something like a macro lens that clips on, depending on the model, or a telephoto uh, 
lens to attach to. It lowers the quality somewhat, but uh, extends the reach. Um, those tend to be a little, quite a bit more expensive than the macro lenses, but uh, there's some options for you when you get a zoom camera. I'm currently carrying a Panasonic Lumix FZ80. That uh, FZ80 has what's called a 60 times zoom. Now, one thing you have to check is one 60 times zoom versus another 60 times zoom could have a different range on it because it depends on the focal length that that 60 times is referring to. In the case of the FZ80, the focal length is referring to 20 millimeters. And so 60 times is 1200 millimeters. Whereas you might have another super zoom where it's 60 times, but 60 times 24. And that would get you to, I think, 1600 millimeters. I'm not sure of my math on that, but you probably get the point. But in general, anything that gets you 20 times and above, probably good for reaching birds. The longer the zoom is, the more stabilization the device needs. So um, the price tends to go up because of that stabilization technology that needs to be in there. Because uh, as you can imagine, when you zoom in further and further and further, the view on the camera gets shakier and shakier, depending on the steadiness of your hand and where you're at, etc. So it's, uh, there's always the trade-off with the reach in that. But um, FZ80's been out for a while and it's pretty good. Uh, there are of course other brands and models out there. Uh, Nikon has some really good ones. The uh, Cool Picks, they're quite pricey, but they have a huge reach. Still not as pricey as buying uh, DSLR in some cases, but uh, uh, they have a huge reach. There's the Canons, uh, the SX70 is their most recent um, super zoom. And it's also comparable to something like a Panasonic Lumix. Uh, there's lots of models out there you can look at though. And there are smaller, less expensive ones and you can get a used one from a few years ago and still get pretty good photos. Um, if your goal is learning bird ID, you don't need the newest, the top of the line. You just need something you can get a record photo of. Doesn't need to be something high enough quality that you're gonna be trying to sell it or put it into a professional context, just need to be able to identify it. And uh, what I do uh, in order to carry such a camera around is I get a side pack camera bag um, just slung over my shoulder. Um, they tend to be pretty lightweight, but you can also use the straps on them as well too. And that works. Although it can be a little awkward because they move around quite a bit. Uh, of course, binoculars are something that everyone gets when they go birding, at least mostly everyone. These range in price. Um, unfortunately, the really inexpensive ones tend to be very heavy and very poor at the optics. Um, in most cases, they're better than nothing, but uh, I would shy away from any of the pocket ones because they tend to be pretty terrible. The ones you can fold up and throw in your pocket tend to be uh, more frustrating than they would be useful for because their um, actual field of view is terrible. But uh, if you look into it, you'll notice there's eight times and ten times values on them for magnification. 
I currently use an 8x, but I'm probably going to get a 10x one at some point. But uh, there's a lot of different brands of binoculars out there. I'm not going to get too deep into it. I have a couple pair. They're both 8x42s. Uh, the Bushnell Nature View is one I use, and the other one I use is the Vortex Diamondback, also an 8x42. Um, it's their lowest end model, but the nice thing with Vortex is that they do have a lifetime warranty at any time. You can just get it fixed. doesn't matter when you bought it, how old it is. It's got a lifetime guarantee on it. Um, there are lots of other ones out there of various price ranges. So I'm not going to get too deep into that, but uh, just know that uh, eight times uh, when you're starting out, it's probably for the best. Gives you a wider field of view. You're not as zoomed into the bird, but you're more likely to find a particular bird because you have more field of view to see where the bird is. And then when you get better at it, then the 10 times is something you can consider. Or, you know, some people go into 12 times. Really depends on your preference. I like the 8 times right now myself, but I'm going to give 10 times a try someday. So when it comes to uh, field guides, you can of course get a pocket field guide of some kind. They're always a little awkward to carry around if you have the camera bag um, with you anyway, so you can always get a lightweight field guide. But even better is getting smartphone apps that fill in for that. Uh, the reason those are actually even better is because, of course, you can play audio on them um, to compare a song you're hearing to a song in the field guide. Whereas the best any other field guide could do in print is spectrogram um, imaging, which you would have to learn what um, bird song looks like in a spectrogram, which is a whole other separate thing. Of those, there's uh, Audubon has a bird's ID app that is free. Uh, I've been using for a few years one called iBird, which is not free, but I think about $20. Um, it has various tiers of pricing, depending on what you want to get. I think there's regional versions that are cheaper. So if you want one that's specific to your region of North America or world, they have one. Um, and again, those have audio in them. Um, iBird in particular, part of the reason I like it is it doesn't need an online connection. Uh, it just has everything downloaded in advance. But uh, these days Merlin also has that as well, where there's download packs you can you can click on to get access to the songs and so on without needing an internet connection. So Merlin's a more modern option. So if you're just starting out, low budget, give Merlin a try first, see how you feel. Maybe when you want to, and maybe when you want to spend a little bit more, um, take a look at iBird. Um, there's probably some other ones out there. I haven't actually done much research recently, so um, feel free to look around. So when it comes to audio recording, um, you can get yourself uh, on your smartphone recording apps. There should be a built-in voice memo app or some equivalent of that. Now, usually those don't come with gain controls, so um, I don't have any particular recommendations, but you could do some quick research to see if you can find a audio recording app that has gain controls, because that would allow you to basically turn up the gain on the microphone to get an even clearer recording. Of course, when you do that, it means that 
you will need to be yourself quieter and make sure there isn't much interference around. It's not going to be able to magically pick out the bird song specifically when you do that. It's just going to raise the sound of everything. Um, as far as I know, none of the phones come with microphones that are unidirectional, so they're all going to be omnidirectional, so you're going to pick up everything around. So pointing the phone in a particular direction isn't going to help too much. You can get external microphones. Um, in my first two seasons of songbirding, I was using the Edutage uh, Omnidirectional EIM001. So there's an EIM model, an ETM model, one for iPhone, one for Android. Um, you can use one of those. Again, that's omnidirectional, but it boosts the gain by 10 dB, which is a significant boost. Also, uh, adds to the clarity quite a bit, just better than the built-in mics are generally. Um, but you'll probably you might need an adapter for your phone depending on whether you have a headphone plug or not. And uh, again, it uh, just boosts everything around you, so you'll have to be careful about what is making noise around you. And if you want to get into directional microphones, you probably want an external um, recorder. I have this Zoom H1N I'm using right now. It's an excellent microphone. Um, I believe it costs, I know I got it on the cheap because it was on sale, but uh, I think in the $100 to $150 range US. And uh, so you'll want a windscreen on it, um, those fuzzy things you put onto microphones to deaden the sound a bit. Uh, keeps the wind from flaring up. Uh, in the microphone keeps the wind noise away but uh, no matter how good of one you get um, there's still going to be some depending on the wind level so um, with this particular model for example adding a really thick fuzzy cover to it um, makes it so I can record when up to a light breeze without too much trouble but beyond that then it starts to flare up so just be careful of that So once COVID is over um, and naturalist clubs and birding organizations are having outings again, a great way to learn is go out uh, on these outings um, with knowledgeable leaders who can answer questions for you in the field. And that's where you get to learn uh, bird behavior stuff really well. Um, there's not much of a replacement um, for having a field guide there to point out uh, a particular behavior that a bird is engaging in. Um, sometimes field accounts written can fill in for that a bit, but uh, I find that it can help immensely to have a knowledgeable field guide who can point out behaviors that help you identify a particular bird. And uh, so, if you want to know where to go birding, I would highly recommend go to eBird. Just Google that, it'll be eBird.org or eBird.ca here in Canada. Look up hot spots in your area. Um, due to COVID, I would recommend find the less popular ones or go on off hours when you can. And uh, if there's not a lot of hot spots around you or there's some spots that uh, look like they'd be nice and they're publicly accessible, doesn't mean you can't add a hotspot. 
to eBird. It's all citizen science. Uh, it's added. It's the information submitted by its users. Join as a user, submit a hotspot. Um, you'll help others in your area understand where else they can go, and you might make new discoveries of things that were not known about your area when it comes to birding, especially during breeding season and uh, migration. A lot of people would appreciate knowing if something is breeding in an area or if something comes through the area during spring or fall migration. It can also help to uh, find a community online. Um, check with your local Naturals Club or Audubon Society for recommendations. Um, there's often email groups locally reporting rare birds or uh, just interesting birding locations. There's also online on Twitter you can look through various bird reports. Um, you might have a local birder or two um, that you can follow or you might have a local Facebook group. Um, there is a birding social network called Chirp you can check out as well too. Um, not as many people on it yet, it's more of a uh, international crowd right now, but uh, it'd be nice to see that grow a bit more. It uh, looks a lot like Facebook, but very specifically for birders. And that can help you find uh, people to help you with identification if uh, the apps and other methods don't work. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. The uh, numbers for songbirding are quite high lately, and that's really exciting to see. Uh, I just released the 50th episode last week, the soundscapes of migrating warblers, and, and I've got a few more to go from the spring uh, for the, this third season, and uh, coming down the line will be a fourth season. There'll probably be a bit of a hiatus this time between seasons, a bit more than before. I didn't originally plan to release the third season so quickly, but, uh, but in light of COVID, I figured it was worth just jumping right into it with what I had, um, and the feedback has been excellent. As always, you can rate and review on your podcast network of choice if they have that. If your podcasting network that you use does not have ratings or reviews, you can go to podchaser.com slash songbirding and uh, sign up for Podchaser and leave a review. Uh, that allows you to uh, follow podcasts that are out there, review them without uh, needing to be on a particular network, and to connect with podcast creators. As I finish up the third season, there may not be an episode necessarily every week, as I'm working a little slower on the podcast editing in the summer, still doing recordings uh, for future seasons, uh, but uh, if you see any weeks I skip, that's why. But like this one, I may choose to release just a bonus episode one week, and after the season is done, um, I'll try to aim to at least get a bonus episode out each month, but I'll see what, what kind of uh, time I have. Thank you all for listening. You can contact me, uh, songbirdingpod at gmail.com for feedback. Uh, you can follow on Twitter at songbirdingpod. Website is songbirding.com. And uh, stay safe, everyone. It's got a pine warbler right above me now.
a fairly yellow bird with a bit of slight flat, uh, slightly black streaks on the chest. I think I heard Redbreast Nuthatch too. It's a bit quiet right now, but... It's a fairly short, warbly song. Usually fades in and out a bit more, but... Uh, and this is, I guess, fading in and out a bit. The uh, tail seems to vibrate as they uh, sing. This is a male. There's a lot of energy going into this song. The bill is moving rapidly as well. Also an oven bird behind me too.